Good morning. I heard that. Hey, welcome to Portico Church, Arlington. My name's Jason, um, and I'm the lead pastor here. One of the things that I did before pastoring was play in a heavy metal rock band. Things you don't want to know about your pastor. <laughs> I was much younger. Uh, this was in the mid-80s, as I was a new Christian. Yeah, go figure. And one of the things that was very popular during that time was called back masking. Have you ever heard of it? I'm sure you never had. So it was based on vinyl records. And the way the story goes is if you took a vinyl record and you spun it backwards on certain bands like Motley Crue or Kiss or Iron Maiden, bands that I may have played, um, we, you would spin it backwards and you would get a message. You could hear the words and it sounded very sinister and bad and it was, there was this rumor that if you listened to it long enough, the mark of the beast would come on to you and you would never be able to recover from it. And I probably should have told you guys this before you called me as your pastor, but it, would, it terrified me as a new Christian. Um, it terrified me. And so that was something that we kind of just learned to live with. And one of the things that came out of that, and even that season in the church, was like, hey, what is the mark of the beast? And I was told, well, maybe it's not heavy metal music. Maybe it's a UPC code. And so we were told not to scan stuff at a store. Maybe it's a credit card, so don't use your credit card. And then it was your social security number, so don't use your social security number. And now it's a vaccine, or maybe it's not getting the vaccine as the mark of the beast, or just on and on and on and on. And so it was terrifying, and it's confusing, and it's not helpful for a 15-year-old Christian who has long hair and just wants to rock, you know? And I'm trying to figure life out, and this is a problem for us as Christians, because this book that we're reading, Revelation, is meant to be a blessing to you. When we read it aloud, it's supposed to give you confidence, it's supposed to give you clarity, not confusion, and it's supposed to, in the midst of that, yes, bring a spiritual sobriety that might check you, that you feel it. But we have largely avoided this. Guess what we're gonna talk about today? Boy, did you hit the jackpot. When you hear Revelation, you think, oh, my church is preaching on Revelation. What's the one verse you think about? All right, we're going to figure out what the mark of the beast is today. We're there. It's Revelation 13. This is, what, this is the moment you've been waiting for. So I'm kind of excited for that, but I also know that there's a, this is an emotionally charged idea. So we're going to jump into that today. And you may have an idea of what you think that is. Maybe you've heard it preached, maybe you haven't. Maybe like most people, you're like, I don't even wanna hear it preached. I don't wanna read it, I don't wanna, it's too confusing, um, and I'm afraid I'll get it wrong. Let's set that aside today, and let's, let's trust that this is God's word. He he's empowers it by his spirit that we might understand it plainly, and that it might teach us how to know him and worship him. So that's where we're gonna to go today. So let's pray and jump in. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you and we praise you. We know that your word is not a riddle. We know that as we are empowered by your spirit, your word is illuminated that we might know you truly. And this is our humble ask this morning. I thank you that you have given us Revelation 13 and everything that's in it. And I pray that you would use it today to build up your people, to bring clarity, to rebuke us, to encourage us 
and to bring us home. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to jump right in it. Uh, you're going to see, last week we, we saw the red dragon. Remember that? We know that the red dragon represents Satan, the accuser. You're going to see two other beasts today that show up that are called forth by the red dragon. That number three is important. All right. So let me just, I'm just going to read through it. Chapter 13, verses 1 all the way through the end of chapter 13. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads and ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power. That's the red dragon we let read about last week. His throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast, and they worshiped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months, and it opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them, and authority was given over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb who was slain. If anyone has ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Key, here is a call for the endurance and the faith of the saints. Now here's the second beast. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and the inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs of it, it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast. It deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath, keyword, to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also... If that wasn't enough, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, everyone, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. Take a deep breath. We're, 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 gonna, we're gonna plow through this, friends. And I will tell you this up front. There's some intense complexity here, but it's very easy to understand. There are some things that we may not uncover, but the, the major idea, the reason this text is here for you and for us, is very plain. Your kids are going to see this. So you're going to see, we're going to look at three things. One is, who is the first beast? Who is the beast that comes out of the sea? 
Who is the beast that's on the land? And what is this mark, this mark of the beast? That's it. We're going to understand that. We want to have clarity on that because it's going to inform how we live today. This is what it's for. This is not talking about the future. This is not, I don't believe that. This is not talking about the past. This is talking about all of it. Remember, 42 months, that's three and a half years. That's the point is, it's a limited time between the resurrection of Jesus and his return. This is the church age. This is now, and it's limited. It's not forever. So the first beast, I'm just going to tell you right up front, this beast, and we'll show you, represents the political sphere. This beast takes shape in nations, in governments, in kingdoms, in people, in leadership that is legitimate all over the world. So this is what that first beast represents. Now before I show you how and why or how we get there, you need to see something very clear right out of the text. Did, Did you catch this? Do you see what's really going on? What, what did we learn about Satan last week? How, how often does he speak the truth? Never. Why? He needs you to worship him. He wants you to believe he's worthy of giving your life to him. All right? So we ended last week by saying, and this red dragon stood on the sand of the sea, And then verse 1 here today, and I saw the beast rising out of the sea. So you see the red dragon calling forth this beast out of the sea. And then this other beast coming out of the land. There's three of them. The red dragon and the beast and the second beast, which is called the false prophet later, they represent Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Once you pick up on that, honestly, the rest of the text just pops. Once you understand that, that what Satan wants for you to understand, or what he wants you to believe, is that he is so worthy of your worship that you don't even question it. So the red dragon represents God the Father, and he calls for, just look at this language. And I saw a beast, so he's calling this beast rising out of the sea, 10 horns, seven heads, 10 diadems, and on its horns, blasphemous names on its head. And then he goes on to say, and they worship the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worship the beast, saying, who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? That is right out of Exodus 15, 11, Moses' song. This is wanting you to understand the beast as God. And it says that he gave his power and his throne and his authority to the beast. Friends, That's what the Father does to the Son. God the Father calls forth the Son. He gives him his throne. He gives him his authority. Do you see that? If that isn't enough, it says that he was wounded. Do you see that? He was wounded, and yet he was not slain. Verse 3, one of his heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but his mortal wound was healed, and all the earth marveled. Who does that sound like? Who in this book has a mortal wound and yet is not slain? You got it. 
This beast is made to counterfeit and to look like God the Son. So God the Father, Satan, who's desiring your worship, raises up this beast out of the sea, which represents everything chaotic. And it looks like this beast has been slain. It looks like he has a mortal wound, yet he lives. He recovers, and it's marvelous to us. And the second beast that comes out of the land, listen to this. Verse 11, then it's another beast rising out of the earth, two horns like a lamb, so he's like the lamb, and it spoke like the dragon. He exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence or in its place and makes the earth and inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. Hold that thought. John chapter 16, verse 12. Jesus speaking to his disciples. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And all that the Father has is mine. And therefore, what I said, he will take care of what is mine and declare it to you. Do you see this? The third beast puts your eyes on the first beast, just like the spirit of God shows you and glorifies Jesus. Serpent, beast, beast. This is a counterfeit trinity. And this second beast empowers worship of all of it. So let that filter how we understand it. And this first beast is political power. Friends, the kingdom of darkness takes shape through nations, through political power. How are you getting that, right? You should ask me that. Well, when it talks about the leopard and the bear and the lion's mouth, that's coming right out of Daniel chapter 7. And remember, we have to guide our interpretation of a revelation from the Old Testament because that's where John is writing from. And in chapter 7, it talks about this beast that comes out of the sea, chapter 7, verse 3, and it has like a lion, but has eagle's wings, and it's like a bear, and it's like a leopard. In chapter 7, it's, it's 17, it says, these four beasts are four kings. And they persecute and destroy the people of God. So who is this beast, and what does it represent? That represents the kingdom of darkness taking shape in nations that are persecuting and oppressing and destroying the people of God, period. That's who it represents. These are kings and kingdoms who oppress you because you belong to the Lamb. So what does that really mean? What does that mean to you right now as an American on 4th of July? Here's what that means. And it's not always going to be the same in every time, in every age, in every country. One of the ways Satan works through government is to reduce or remove your alliance and your reliance on God. Think about that for a minute. Satan wants to remove your reliance on God through this government. Do you believe that? 
What does the government do? Well, the government sends you money. The government provides for you. The government provides a place. Let's be honest, America's great. I'm just going to tell you that. I've been around the world a little bit. It's a fantastic place to live. You can do what you want. You can be who you want. Do you really need God anymore? So the government will reduce or remove your reliance on God of one of two ways. It will punish you for serving the Lamb. Think ancient Rome, where they would literally, if you didn't burn incense to Caesar before the Roman magistrate, like Polycarp, who actually knew the Apostle John, you can be taken and killed. Like in India, if you get baptized publicly, you can lose your job. Or, so it can do it through punishment, or it can do it through a beautiful peace that is heaven-like. You have so much. We have so much as an American. We can live our dreams now. In fact, that's what we want to do. And God can be a part of that. I just can't really worship him because I'm going to do what I want. And this country has made it possible. Think of what we've accomplished in the last hundred years. We went from an airplane made out of canvas to Mars Explorers. This kingdom is glorious. The only thing that compares to it is maybe Rome, which had power for 1,500 years from England to India. So yes, that beast is nation states. It's government. And our government is not exempt from it. Remove your reliance on God. How does, well, America's not, how do I say this in a way? It's 4th of July and have this text. Friends, listen, America's not the city on the hill. I have to tell you that. It's a wonderful place. Government is good. Working for government is good. Right? We should submit and love government. But it's going to have a spiritual role in your life, whether you know it or not. And what stands behind that, behind every government, is wanting to pull you away from God, wanting to remove your reliance on God. In my opinion, the way America does that is by giving you a life that's unparalleled in this world. It's great. It's wonderful. And it's easy to worship a life where you have so much abundance you don't even know what to do with it. And it can be confusing for us because patriotism is good. Serving your country is good. But we can read this and we can read the Bible and believe that America is the new Israel. And we can believe that America is the light to the nations. It's not. This is trans-political, friend. Jesus is going to save the nations, not America. And this is hard. This is hard on 4th of July. We can look at other countries and say, oh, yeah, back in my day, it was like Russia. Yeah, Russia's the mark. We can see that there, but certainly not here in America. So the first beast is the political sphere. Know this, Christian. Do you even feel like an outsider in your own country? Have you ever felt like an outsider? That's going to happen. And it may happen in greater ways. So the first beast is the political sphere. The second beast is the religious sphere. So it's, it's one thing to have your government, which 
I'm just going to tell you, this is a good government. And there, but there's spiritual authority behind it. The second beast slips into the realm of social and religious activism. In other words, it wants you to worship your life. It actually breathes life into lies. Do you know how lies work? Uh, let me give you a pro tip, because I've spent a lot of time in hotels. If you're ever in a hotel, and you get a call from the front desk, and they say, hey, uh, Mr. Connor, we're so sorry. We lost power last night. We lost your reservation. We know you, want, you, know, we know you really want to stay here, and you, know, you have your kids with you, and like, you know, we don't want you to lose. We don't want to have to move you out of your room. So could you just give us your credit card again, because we have to rerun it? What do you do? You hang up. It's not the front desk. Okay? What you say is, I'll be right down, and then they'll hang up on you. They know that what you want nothing more is the peace and beauty of a good vacation. They know you're worn out, and yeah, oh yeah, yeah, I just gave you my credit card again. Friends, when you want something desperately, it's easy to lie to you. If I know what you want, I know how to lie to you. Satan is not afraid that you're on a spiritual journey. He's not afraid that God made you a worshiper. He's not even afraid that you believe in God. In fact, he absolutely counts on you being on a spiritual journey. So the second beast, the one that comes out of the land, teaches you how to center your worship on everything that the first beast will give you. And if your government's not a government that can work, we'll find some other good thing for you to attach your life to, something that is transcendent, something that is beyond you, something that is beautiful, something that is powerful. Friends, it can be as simple as sports. It can be as simple as a, a, a political activism. It feels religious or social justice. It feels so good to do something so good. And pretty soon, you become the object of worship. Pretty soon, you find yourself pleased with yourself. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God has put eternity into your heart. That means, we say this all the time, you find it unacceptable just to be alive. Friend, you have to find a reason that you're on this earth. You have to free, find a reason that you're alive. For Americans, many of us, it's comfort and entertainment. We can numb ourselves with that, but even that gets old. We want to find a reason why our life makes a difference. And this is the job of the second beast, to replace God with good things. So if the first beast is to remove your reliance on God through the political structure, either by pounding you and like just, you, you want to serve God? We're going to punish you or take your life away. Or why do that? Right? You can compromise a little bit, right? It's not so bad. The second beast is replace God with good things. So this is your worldview. This is your philosophical ideas that dilute God's word. When you start saying things like, and we've all said this, I don't know, is hell real? I don't know. It's in the Bible, but it just, it's hard for me to reconcile that. Isn't it really just about being a good person? Really? We've got... When that, that starts to become reasonable to you and that starts to infiltrate into the church and we co-opt culture. And it feels good and it feels religious and its text says here that this beast breathes life into the image of the beast. 
It will feel life-giving. It will feel so good to be an activist. It will feel so good to just live your life on your own terms and not worry about the hard things in the Bible. It will be so good just to not make waves with your family and with other people. It will feel so good just to keep your mouth shut and live your life. This is the job of the second beast who functions as the Holy Spirit. Even says the fire comes down. Now that probably is an allusion to Elijah, like maybe fire down on the, on, on the altar to show God's supremacy over other gods. But you know what it makes me think of? Pentecost. Fire comes down on God's people. Everybody sees it. They are empowered to worship the living God. He's mimicking. He wants your worship. Empowers blasphemy. You know what blasphemy is? I'll tell you what blasphemy is. It's living a life that brings God's character into question. Well, what do you mean? Do people have a pretty good view of who God is by what you say and do? There's a real cost to serving the living God. There's things in this Bible like, that are hard to understand as an American. Like the kingdom of God's sexual ethic flies in the face of culture. You know what flew in the face of culture in the day of Rome? Weakness. Jesus died on the cross. You guys are idiots. The empire runs on strength. There will always be something in culture that's detestable, or in the church that's detestable to culture, and you'll be tempted to compromise and to give up on it. And it will be through the state and through the second beast who empowers you to blast me and to misrepresent God's character. Okay. So, what is this mark of the beast? I know this is sobering. Stick with me, guys. What is the mark of the beast? Remember, context always controls. So one of the ways we get this wrong is we look at this last verse about 666, and we just focus on it, and we just put a magnifying glass on it. You can't understand Revelation unless you step back and look at the big picture. So what happened to the saints in regards to the lamb, he seals them. Do you remember that? The seal of the lamb. Let me just take you back. Chapter 7, verse 3. Restrain the winds. No wind may blow on the earth or the sea or against any tree. And it goes on. Do not harm the earth until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And then in verse 14, next week, right here, it says, and I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000, that's all of God's people, it's more than that. And they had his name, his father's name, written on their foreheads. The mark of the beast is an imitation seal. It's like printing a passport out from your printer and thinking you're an American. Or you want to go to Spain and you just print out a Spanish passport. Say, I'm a Spanish citizen. It's a complete counterfeit. So do you remember what the seal does? The seal is about belonging. It's about protection. It's about God's personal presence in your life. It's about persevering you. Well, the mark of the beast, it's, it's a counterfeit. And he doesn't want to protect you. Remember that. He doesn't care about you. He wants to destroy you. 
So it's a counterfeit of God's seal that is on God's people. Now, let's talk a little bit about what that looks like. Now, we don't really know, to be honest with you. In Greek culture, they would tattoo criminals, especially the ones that are tough, because they wanted to mark them. Was it like that? I don't know. In many ancient Near Eastern cultures, there was a tattoo associated with a tribe or the family. I think it's pretty clear to me this is not a visible mark. The saints are not visibly marked on the forehead. Why would the mark of the beast be different? This is not a visible mark. Friends, this is not something that's going to sneak up on you and get you when you don't know about it. This is something that you have volitional will in. You take it. You decide to live your life not by God's word, not by his grace, but on your own terms. I th- here's something that I think is helpful. Deuteronomy 11:18. or always going back to the Old Testament. Listen to this. And you shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and on your soul and bind them as a sign on your hand, think forehand, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes, think right here. The word that you consume and that builds conviction in your heart comes out of your hands. Israel literally would have little leather boxes, phylacteries, and put them on their head and on their arms. In other words, whatever gospel you believe, whatever gospel you have embraced, whatever philosophy you're living on is driving your actions. Your convictions are coming out in your life. Your convictions are driving your actions. It's lived out convictions. It's those who will suffer because of what God says. It's those who will lose in this life because of what God says. I mean, the text says as much. Here's the call for endurance and faith of the saints. So what about the number? Shouldn't that tell us? I'm going to tell you what I believe. There's a range of orthodoxy here. I do not believe the mark is visible. And here's what 666 could mean. Some people have said it represents a name. So our job as Christians is to figure that out through what's called gematria. It's something that was in the ancient Near East where letters would represent numbers. It was very common. So this is not a stretch. So I counted at least 25 names that the church over church history has said is the Antichrist and the true beast, including Reagan, Clinton, Obama. Like there's, you can move the letters around. You can make it really mean what you want. And so please... Take peace. It's not asking you to solve a riddle. It's actually giving you the answer. It doesn't say, here's some numbers, figure out what name that should mean. Listen to what it says. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. Then it tells you. It's the number of a man. And this number is 666. Do you know what that means? It's almost perfect. The mark of the beast is almost perfection. Infinity, 666. You know in, in Revelation, it's, it's perfect completion. Seven churches, seven lampstands. 
Seven epics, seven, 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 seven. It's the number of perfection and completion. Six is so good. You're never going to see it. Six is almost perfect. It looks so good. Maybe I'm saved because I'm an American. Maybe we got this right. It looks so good. This, this, this idea looks so good to me. How come it's not true? It's almost perfect. It's unholy incompletion. It's telling you that the number of the beast is the number of man. If you're going to be duped into compromise by government or duped into co-opting government, if you're going to embrace another philosophy or idea beyond what God gives you, you might have a great life and worship a different God. Because that God is a representative of man and the beast, not God. That's exactly what it means. And it's going to be plausible. So that, friends, is the mark of the beast. It's man's number. It's really telling you you're worshiping mankind. Listen, friends, what happens when Jesus steps on the ground? What do the religious leaders do? They handed him over to the state. Jesus wasn't executed by a mob. He was executed by a world power, Rome. Jesus didn't walk into jail. He was handed over by the religious leaders, by those that didn't want him. You see the first beast and the second beast at action here. The political sphere and the religious sphere working together to extricate God. And he does this for you to seal you because he loves you and to bring you home. Friends, just do the math, because the call here is to live as a sealed saint and to not let this bother you. Be a good American. It's a wonderful country. It's never going to save you. There's a lot of good thought processes and philosophies out there. Never, never let them supplant God's word in your life. So ask yourself this, is God's word alive in you? Because that's what the actual Holy Spirit does. Is God's word alive in you? Do, do you feel the presence of the Spirit of God in you, making the word of God live? Never perfectly. It's never mysterious. It, do you feel that? Do you understand that? Can you be a visible mark of what it means to have God dwell with you? This is what we're called to do. Friends, I know this is disorienting as an American. I know. Maybe some people are raging against America and want some other version. That's still political idolatry. And maybe some of us believe that America is the new Israel. It's not. Jesus saves. So let's use our time well. Let's not be duped by the beast. He has one story, and it's very simple. He wants your worship. And let's be the visible people of God. Trust him. Heavenly Father, we thank you. These words are hard. 
These words are hard for everyone. But in them, there is liberty. Lord, we believe that. You are the true Father. You have sent God the Son, who has come and been rejected, who is actually perfect, who has paid the price for our idolatry. And if we would only hold on to him, he will bring us home, but it's going to cost us. It's not going to cost us blood and wrath from you. He's paid that. But we might have to lose all of this life. Jesus told us as much. Make us willing, Lord. Make us ready to endure in faithfulness. And show us, Lord, show through us who you are. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.